Hope everybody's doing all right today. That was a good time of worship. Um, now that that's a great old hymn. How great the heart. It's really, really good. Um, if you're visiting with us for the first time, my name is Philip Brandon. I'm the pastor here. And uh, I uh, recently had to get a new uh, toaster oven. How many of you have like this type of toaster oven? couple of people do. Most of you have the type where you kind of put it in and you push it down and then you wait for it to go ding and they pop back up, right? That's the most. Well, <clears throat> I grew up with this kind of toaster oven and the reason we got a new one is because about a year ago, I purchased one that was a little bit smaller and um, it kept catching on fire. Like when you put the toast in there, it kept catching on fire and so finally... Because we tried several things, you know, maybe it's the place we put the bread, maybe it's something else. I don't know why that thing was catching on fire, but um, if you want to know um, which one that is, just look up toaster ovens on uh, Amazon.com because I wrote a report about it that don't buy this one. Uh, I gave it a one star and said I really didn't want to give it a one star because it can burn your house down. So nonetheless, this is the new one, this Black & Decker one, and it came in a box, and this box right here still has the stuff inside of it, it came with just in case, because we've had it about a week and a half, just in case this one catches on fire, I want to be ready to send it back. How many of you get something and you throw the box away immediately, right? Yeah, that, that was me until the toaster oven began to burn and I couldn't send it back because I didn't have the appropriate stuff, but this is it. Have you ever tried to put something that you bought back into a box like this? You have it because you don't keep the box. Yeah, it's... I don't know how the Chinese people do it, um, but they can really pack this stuff really well. Yeah. Now, if you're visiting with us, we don't do race here. It, we make fun of everybody, okay? White people, black people, Hispanic people, it doesn't matter. I mean, if you can't have a little fun with your ethnicity, see, white people can't say that word. If you can't have fun with that, you're taking yourself way too seriously. But nonetheless, they pack it really well. They pack it really well. So you can't do that. And this box is kind of limited. For instance, if I wanted to put other stuff in here, I will not touch Ben's guitar. He's bigger than me. Um, but let's say I don't, I don't know. How about this young man right here? Come on up here. If I wanted to put something like, like this young man in this box, right? So, so come on in and... We're going to try to, now listen, you just need to speak some Chinese, okay? Okay, now let me see if I can, see every now and then you just can't, can you go down a little further, please? I'm not that short. Go a little down, like, yeah. See, you just can't always put that in that container. You can get up. Good job. Give him a hand. <laughs> Dude, if my toaster catch hey, if my toaster catches on fire, you have broken the styrofoam. This is going to be the difference between being getting my buddy back. Anyway, you can't always put, you know, bigger items back in a container. Now, you and I, in the same kind of thing, um, can't always comprehend certain things. How am I doing that? Is that me, really? 
How am I doing that? You know what I do? See, that's what you call an attention getter, is what that is. We can't always comprehend things and wrap our minds around them, right? Like, like this week, we have a new uh, security camera system that we put into the church so that we can watch outside. And that way, you know, if somebody comes into the parking lot during the service, um, not only can we see it here, but we also have two security guards that are watching the parking lots every single service. Um, but when they were putting this in, there were some things that happened that I couldn't wrap my mind around. Like they were talking some tech stuff that was a little bit beyond me. It probably wasn't beyond Greg or, and John and, and um, yeah, Mr. Seaford back there. It wasn't beyond them. But, but nonetheless, it, it, was, it, it was to the point where I don't really know the lingo you're using. I kind of feel my way through this technology thing anyway. Um, I have an idiot computer. It's a Mac. Um, I don't have to really work on it much to get it to work. It just works, and, and it's, you know, it's just that way. So I couldn't wrap my mind around that particular whatever they were saying. And there's some things in life that you just can't wrap your mind around. It's almost like won't fit into the box. And you can think about it and think about it and think about it, but it just won't fit into the box. So with that in mind, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 31. Job chapter 31 is where we are. Job chapter chapter 31. Now, I, I want you to know a few, few things about this. First of all, you're supposed to be in chapter 36. But the second thing that I want you to know is that Elihu, who is the fourth friend that came to see Job, um, gets a bad rap from a lot of people. A lot of people think that he was just as bad as the first three guys that were pounding and pounding and pounding old Job. However, I would submit to you today that that does not fit the text. At the end of this, it is God who judges the three friends and doesn't judge this fourth guy, Elihu. Second, if you start looking at Elihu in that way, his words are absolutely amazing. So when you take the sting out of it that he's hammering old Job and you, and you take the sense that he is trying to help him, in the best way he can, the words on the page are very encouraging and very meaningful. And that is what brings us to chapter 36, actually verse 22. Now, he starts with some questions, all right? So this is the first set of questions that he has. And I want you, once I read the question, to give me the answer to the question, okay? So for instance, I'm going to give you the answer so that you'll make 100 on the test. The answer is this, no one, absolutely no one. So chapter 36, verse 22 says, Behold, God is exalted in his power. Who is a teacher like him? Okay, a little bit louder. Awesome. Who has prescribed for him his way, or who can say, you have done wrong? Yeah. No one. No one at all. Verse 24 says, remember to extol his work of which men have sung. Just a few minutes ago, we sang a song, how great thou art. 
Men have looked and they have seen the magnificent of Almighty God and they've written songs about it. Next verse. Behold, God is great and we knew him not. The number of his years is unsearchable. So, God is great. There is a greatness to God. There is an an amazement to Almighty God. God is huge. God is magnificent. God is absolutely incredible. This verse, behold, we, we know him not. It's hard to comprehend who God is. We think we know a little bit about him, but we really don't know much about him. He, he is hard to really get to know he's so big. The number of his years is unsearchable. In other words, there isn't a backstory to God. There just isn't one. So we, we love backstories. I really don't. I'm getting kind of tired of the backstory type of deal where you have a backstory to Superman, you have a backstory to this, you have a backstory to that, you have a backstory to this backstory, and you have a backstory to that backstory to that backstory. I really hate it when they started doing it with Star Wars because I really didn't want to know any of that backstory stuff. Star Wars was just nice, your own imagination. Now, thank you, Disney, you've no, ruined another childhood memory. But nonetheless... Nonetheless, we all want backstories. People want backstories. And so the thing is, where did God come from? Where did he begin? Where did he start? That, ladies and gentlemen, is an unsearchable question. We will never know where God got started from. We'll never know how that happened. And to be honest with you, if God had a starting position, he's no longer God because someone else started him. And that person that started God would be God. So God has no end, he has no beginning, and it's really hard to wrap our minds around that. And then he says this. For he draws up the drops of water, and they distill his mist in rain. Next screen. It's a, God is so great we cannot fully understand him. Next screen. God is so great. I mean, we're trying, to, we're trying to figure it out. He draws up the drops of water. They distill his rain. It's like having an elephant on our back. Verse 27, he draws up the drops of water. They distill his mist in the rain, which the skies pour down and drop on mankind abundantly. Job was the first book ever written in Scripture. The first book ever written. It was, it was written before Genesis, it was written before Numbers, Deuteronomy, the whole first five books of the Bible. Job is the oldest book that we have. Job is also not connected to anything Jewish. In fact, where Job wrote this or where whoever wrote this is somewhere different. It's just an ancient book. Isn't it amazing that in an ancient book like this, they understood the water cycle? They understood that water evaporated and went up into heaven and came back down. Long before science was ever a thing, long before any of that happened, the Bible already had that stuff in it, the cycle. So what does God do? He draws up the drops of water. They distill his mist in the rain, which the skies pour down. Who do you think is in charge of the water cycle? God. The water cycle just didn't happen. It, it, it wasn't some part of some evolutionary thing that happened and, and a rock hit the earth and the earth spun and then 
accidentally we had another asteroid with some ice on it that hit the earth and that melted and then over billions and billions of years, this thing happened and, and just out of pure luck, not even luck, even worse than luck, like mere chance of a grand scale, all of a sudden we have this water cycle. It didn't have, somebody created that. And if you really think about it, somebody not only had to create that, but everything else that works in this world. We did not just happen by chance. And God put this into position for the benefit of the world. It is a water cycle. Look, I have trouble with plumbing. Getting the water to go downhill is, is my issue, right? Gluing pipes together to get the water to go where I want it to go is my issue. God created a water cycle, and it's perfect. It does exactly what it should do. It is a great, he is a great, great God. Then he starts talking about thunderstorms. Look at this, verse 30. Behold, he scatters his lightning about him and covers the roots of the sea. For by these he judges people and gives food abundance. He covers his hand with the lightning, commands it to strike the mark. Its crashing declares his presence. The cattle also that he rises. Now, I do not know if all cattle does this. I am not a farmer, and I'm not even going to say that I am a farmer, especially in Farmington. I'm not going to say that. But I have seen cattle get together when a storm comes up. And they come together and they group together because they know that something is happening. In fact, I have seen horses before. When the ions are out of balance and you don't know that the storm is coming, do weird stuff and get together and run places and move and do things. You can tell if a bad storm is coming or just an electrical storm is coming just by looking at horses and the way that they act. You can do that. Here in this passage of Scripture, it says that the cattle declare that he rises. In other words, the thunder and the lightning and the stuff that is happening, they know that that is from the power of God. Thunder and lightning. Thunder and lightning. And Elihu says in chapter 37, verse 1, these words, at this my heart trembles and leaps out of its place. When I see a storm and the lightning strikes and then I hear the thunder and it shakes me and I see and witness that magnificent of God, magnificence of God and I'm a little scared, my heart begins to beat and I begin to shake because of the magnificent and awe-inspiring nature of God and his power. We have lost the fear of God. We've lost it. Does God love you? Yes. But is God someone to be feared? Yes. Does he show you grace and mercy? Oh, yes. And we're really glad that he does that. But he is somebody to be feared and he is somebody to be reckoned with. He is more powerful than you can comprehend in your mind, he is huge. But when you go before God with your request, when you talk to God, you do it with respect and not a flippant attitude. 
You do it thanking him for the stuff that you already have, even, even the job that you don't really have that he gave, that you don't really like that he gave to you. You're still thankful for that because he is huge, he is mighty, and even that job you don't like is a gift. Even that suffering you are going through right now is still a gift. He is big and large and awesome. Verse 2. Keep listening to the thunder of his voice and the rumbling that comes from his mouth. Under the whole heavens he lets go and his lightning to the corners of the earth. After his voice roars, the thunders with his majestic voice, and he does not restrain the lightnings when his voice is heard. God thunders wondrously with his voice. He does great things that we cannot comprehend. Him. Wow. So, I, and this is not a political statement, I'm not trying to say anything like that, but this is just funny to me, and I'm just going to share it with you, okay? This is a picture of Al Gore. It's a great picture with him pointing his finger. What I think is absolutely funny about him is any time he has a global warming conference, there's a blizzard. I don't, besides, regardless of where you are, all that issue, whether you believe it or not believe it or whatever, that's funny, right? And the concept that I also think is not as funny as that, but is kind of makes me giggle, is the fact that we actually think that we can do something to control this, to control climate change. Have you ever thought about that? Is it really you driving an electric car that's going to change climate, climate control? Is it really the smog and stuff that God who is big that created the world cannot handle that until the end of time? Do you really think that God isn't going to sustain this earth until he comes back? That he somehow doesn't have the power that we do? Do you think your bottled water that's plastic that doesn't really go anywhere? And I think you should take care of the earth and recycle, blah, blah, blah. But nonetheless, do you really think that that is going to hinder the earth from getting to the point where Jesus Christ is going to come back one day and change everything? Listen, it all burns anyway. Then, time, this is gone, right? And it's funny to me that somebody not only has a blizzard every time they have a global warming conference, that's why they changed it to global climate change, that's not as funny, but nonetheless, that this guy and the rest of the people that think that they can do something about climate change actually think that they have the power to do it. There is only one person that has the power to change the climate, and that is God. It is God. He has that power. I do think we take care of the earth. I do think we're responsible, but at the end of the day, your power and my power to change the environment of where we live is nothing compared to God's. Look at verse um, 6. For to the snow, he says, fall on the earth. I think God's up in heaven saying, Al Gore's in, in New York, and I know it's the better of the summer, but it's time for a snowstorm. I think he's up there, you know? I think he's up there saying that. Likewise to the downpour, his almighty downpour. God sends rain. God sends rain that is light, that is medium, that is a downpour. 
right? He, he sent rain last night. I heard it on my roof. It woke me up. God sends rain. I have no control over rain. Do you? Do you? No. No control at all. Verse 7, he seals up the hand of every man that all men whom he made may know it. There is a purpose for God and weather, whether it's a thunderstorm or a downpour or, or snow. This term right here that says, he seals up the hand of every man that all men whom he made may know it, has to do with the snow. It has to do with there are times that you cannot plant crops. God causes winter to come and causes man to have to stop working the land, become inactive when it comes to working the land in order for him to stop long enough to realize it doesn't all depend on him. It depends on someone else, someone bigger than he is. The downpour is the same way, right? How many of you stay inside when it's like really raining sheets of water, right? How many of you have been at a store or coming into the church or coming into your house, maybe you don't have a garage, and you waited in the car because you're waiting until the rain lightens up? Because some of us don't like to get our hair wet, and some of us, it doesn't matter because we don't have hair, right? But we don't want to get our clothes wet, right? So, so God has these downpours come. If it snows in the state of North Carolina, everything stops. Everything. People don't get out of their houses. If people have made it to work and it started to snow, they're wondering if they can go home. They're just very, very scared of snow. If you go out to California and it begins to rain in California, they cancel soccer games, they cancel the whole thing, and everybody stays indoors just because of rain, because they're kind of scared of, of rain. Did you know that? I didn't know that until here recently. I have a friend of mine that has a church out, out in California. He started a church, it's going really well, and when it rains on a Sunday, they have to almost cancel church because people don't drive in the rain. I told him, tell those jokers to put the lid up on their convertibles and get to church, right? It's just rain, right? God does all of this, and he does it because he has a purpose. Look at the next verse, verse 8. Then the beast go into their lairs and remain in their dens go into the lairs, and remain in their dens. By the breath of God, ice is given, and the broad waters are frozen fast. He loads the thick clouds with moisture. The clouds scatter his lightning. They turn around and around by his guidance to accomplish all that he commands them on the face of the hab habitable world. God has a purpose all of this. When you're talking about beasts and dens, you're talking about beasts coming in from the field and getting rest. I believe that God, one of his purposes for sending snow to the state of North Carolina is because there's North Carolinians that work too much and they need to stay home and he knows that will do it. That does not phase me in the least bit, snow. 
it's probably because I lived up north a little bit, and then I got saved and came back. But, but it, it, it's, it's that little, that kind of environment, right? So God does things sometimes in order for you to gain rest. You see, we are way too busy. We're just way too busy. And every single day, it seems like that we are working. I believe that God, who is sovereign, also lets you get sick so that you can stay at home and your body get rest. I think there's a purpose for everything that he does. I think sometimes he puts things in your way so you have to stay home, so you have to get rest because you have worked too much. I think he allows your body to shut down so that you will shut down for a little while and take a Sabbath's rest. God cares for you, and he does this. God does water, rain, weather, stuff in your life to move you exactly to the spot he wants you at. Now, I'm gonna tell you this. I'm not gonna tell you why, okay? It's not because our marriage is breaking up, okay, or there's any type of problems that haven't been problems for the last 26 years in our marriage, okay? Right? I mean, we are the same people. We, we're not really the same. You don't want to know that. I'm not going to get into that. But here, a, a few months back, um, I got into the habit of sleeping on the couch. She wasn't mad at me. Um, there are reasons why, why I was sleeping on the couch. Good reasons. Fine reasons. We didn't really like it, but that's just the way it was. So I sleep on the couch. And it got to where um, it was just getting kind of, kind of odd, but I didn't realize it was getting odd. And so one morning, it was a Monday morning, I woke up with vertigo. I never had vertigo in my entire life. Room was spinning. The only way the room would stop spinning is if I, if I leaned this way. I didn't know what was going on. I thought I was going to die. I get motion sick. So not only was the room spinning, I was going to the bathroom, the toilet was spinning, it was just bad. And so stuff was coming up, I was losing weight, I felt like I was dying. My daughter thought that I was dying. Um, she asked me what it was, we talked about it a little bit, we realized it was vertigo, and then my daughter, who doesn't love me, told me to bang my head up against the wall and it would stop. <laughs> she just, I didn't, look, I don't know if she Googled that or if she just wanted me to damage my brain. I'm not sure what it was. But nonetheless, just bang your head. I heard that the hairs, she, she has all this information. Okay, so, so I, went, I went to the doctor. The doctor said it was vertigo. It, it's the day kind that's 24 hours. Here's some pills that to kind of for the stomach stuff. Go home, rest, and get up the next day. I haven't missed a day in my bed with Nicole except for when she leaves me and goes somewhere else. Um, on a trip. Um, that didn't, wasn't a good thing. Our marriage is good. Nonetheless, I haven't missed a day back in that environment since that day because I think God gave me that to wake me up that this was not really healthy. It wasn't healthy for me to be sleeping downstairs. It wasn't good for the kids to see. It wasn't good in general. And so I went back, and I'm sleeping, snoring with my wife once again. Okay? God does things in his sovereignty in your life to get you where you need to be. If you are his child, every now and then, he's so great. He just comes in, and he does things 
to get you into the position where you needed to be all along. He corrects your path if you allow him to. Amen? He corrects your path. That is the figure that Elihu is trying to give to Job. He is basically saying, I don't know if this is sin. I don't know if this is a test. I don't know what this is, but this is what I know. God is in control, and he's moving you where he wants you to go. He's moving you in that direction, and we'll just see what that is. So, then, there's another set of questions, okay? And this is your answer to the next two questions. It's no, I don't. So, verse 14, here's the question. Hear this, O Job. Stop and consider the wondrous works of God. Do you know how God lays his command upon them and causes the lightning of his cloud to shine? Do you know the balancing of the clouds and the wondrous works of him where it is perfect in knowledge? I don't. You whose garments are hot when the earth is still because of the south wind? No, I do not. It gets cold, and that happens, and it gets hot, and that happens. Nobody really knows how that happens. The weatherman definitely doesn't know how that happens. He's off a lot. But God knows how that happens. Here's question number three, and this is your answer to that question. No, I can't. Verse 18, can you, like him, spread out the skies Hard as a cast metal mirror. No, I can't. I can't. You will never know the greatness of God unless you can say, I don't understand how he does this and I can't do what he's doing. You will never know the greatness of God. Never. When I was a kid, there's a, there's a text in Revelation that says, who is worthy to open the scroll? And we were having a revival, right? And I was maybe seven years old, seven, nine years old, something like that. And so this guy was preaching about that. He's, who is worthy? Who is worthy to open the scroll? There's no one coming forward. There's no one coming forward. I raised my hand in that service and said, I'll do it. <laughs> having no clue about worthiness, but yeah, hey, look, if nobody else will open that scroll, I will do it so you will get off this point. Right? In my mind, I'll do it, right? Yeah, there, there are things we do not realize the worthiness of God, the greatness of God, unless you and I can both say, I can't, I don't understand, I don't know, he is huge, I don't completely understand him. I do not. Verse 19, teach us what we shall say to him. We cannot draw up our case because of darkness. In other words, the darkness there is not sin. The darkness there is, I just don't know how to draw up a case because I really don't know him. Shall it be told to him what I would speak? Did a man ever wish that he would be swallowed up? Let me explain that to you. Have, have you ever been mad at somebody and you're talking to like your spouse about it? Are you talking to somebody before you go talk to them? You're running things by them before you go to say them. 
And so in this conversation, you're like, man, when I see Larry over here, I'm going to say, and I'm going to tell him, and then I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to say that, and then I'm going to, you know, because I'm just really upset. And then you get over here to Larry, and you don't say any of those things? Come on. Yeah, you don't say anything? And the reason is, Maybe there's a respect for Larry, or maybe you get into the situation and you realize you were wrong, you read it incorrectly, and so you're not really sure. And so there's a different environment with this because Larry might be bigger than you and might can come back at you. He might be smarter than you and can come back at you, or you just respect Larry and you just don't say the same things and you say something remarkably different. And then you go over here and said, yeah, Larry and I had that conversation. And you never tell that person that you didn't tell them. It's called lying, but we all do it, right? We never go back and fix this. What he is saying is, Job, you've been saying you can lay out your case before God, and I think that's great, and you've said some of the th- things that you're gonna say before him, that you're perfect, that, you're, that you can build a case and God would agree with you, and that's a great thing. But Job, as your friend, Elihu, as your friend, when you get into the situation, where you can lay it before an almighty great God that controls the weather and everything else in the world, your conversation's gonna be different. And you're gonna wish that you were just swallowed up in his majesty. Isn't that beautiful? You're just gonna wish when you're in front of him that you're just swallowed up in him at that moment and your conversation is gonna be different than what you think it's gonna be. You and I, if you're a Christian, we've all imagined seeing Jesus for the first time and standing before God, right? Because that's our hope. And there are things that we would like to say. There's some things I would like to, like to ask Jesus. There's some things that I would just like to say to him. But in that moment, all of our conceptions of standing before our Savior is going to go out the window. And we are going to wish that he would just swallow us up in his majesty, in his honor, in his greatness, in his awesomeness at that moment. We will not be first looking for our loved one in heaven. We will be enthralled with Jesus and looking for loved ones will come later. Those loved ones that are in heaven that we say are looking are so amazed by Jesus, they are not thinking about you yet. They are going to be happy when you get up there, right? They're going to be happy when that time passes and they can talk to you. Sure, I'm not taking anything away from that, but I'm telling you that your loved one that is up there in heaven, they are still amazed by the God of the universe and by Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit. And they are still trying to wrap their minds around that moment. God is awesome. God is great. God is amazing. He's amazing. And now, verse 21. No one who looks on high when it's bright in the skies, when the wind has passed and cleared on them. No one looks on the light. In other words, not only are we going to want to be kind of swallowed up inside of God, we are going to have difficulty looking at his majesty and his glory. There is a reason why God does not appear to people in all his glory and majesty. 
we wouldn't be able to look at it. It would be like, according to Elihu, looking at the sun when it's high in the sky and staring right into it. We know the sun is there, but we can't look at it. We know the sun is there, but there's something respectful about the sun that we respect, that we want to keep our eyesight. When we see God, it's the same way. We'll struggle looking at him. Verse 22, out of the north comes golden splendor. God is clothed with awesome majesty. The almighty, we cannot find him. He is great in power. He's great in justice. He's abundant in righteousness. And he will not violate. Therefore, let men fear him. Let their hearts leap out of their chest at the thought of him. Let them understand his greatness. God is great in power. God is great in righteousness. God is great. Now listen, we're going to do a little mashup worship number. I'd like you to sing along if you would like to. That would be awesome. This is why... This message is so important. There are people that are suffering. And Elihu, in this moment where Job is suffering, is telling him, do not forget the awesomeness of God while you are suffering. Do not forget who God is while you are suffering. Do not forget God's greatness while you are suffering. Don't forget that. So, you can sing with us if you want to. Um, this is a little mashup, some worship songs.
lifting higher your glory our desire your praise will sing forever our great god our great god whoa no strength no power greater no equal to our savior you're the name above all others our great god our So a couple questions. First, if you're suffering, you ask this question. I don't understand why. And you really, really want God to tell you why. Have you ever considered that you don't understand God? You don't understand God. Next. 
but why can't he tell me so I can know? Why can't God tell me while I'm suffering? Well, do you fully know God? What makes you think you would understand the answer if he gave it to you? His ways are higher than our, way, our ways. His ways are greater than our ways. For him sometimes to tell me why I have been suffering is like him trying to fit all of that into a box it won't fit in. My mind just will not fit there. Next question. How great is God? How awesome is God? Is there a limit to his greatness? No. Is the limit the human mind? No. No. The limit to God's greatness is not your ability to comprehend. If it was, I don't want to have anything to do with a God like that. I want a God that is so broad and so great and so magnificent, I can't comprehend him. If I can comprehend God, he ceases to be God. Come on. He is awesome. So we cry out to God in our time of trouble. We say, please tell me why. Please tell me why. And God seems to be silent the reason he's silent is because your mind would not be able to comprehend the reason. Whew. But wait, I'm a smart person. No, you're not. Wait, my IQ is 107. No. My IQ is close to Einstein. Yeah, no, you still. Einstein even had trouble figuring what God had made out. God told you the reason, you wouldn't be able to comprehend it. So what do you do? <laughs> you trust in his greatness and that he knows what he's doing. Let's pray.